time and their dime going over there really making an incredible difference and being able to bring that back to us to see ultimately the impact that each and every one of us has been having individually. Uh, I know for me it's helpful knowing where that money goes, being able to see the faces of the individuals being helped by it. Uh, it's so incredible to hear about that facility that's being donated to Hope. I mean talk about an incredible victory for the Lord there. Amen. Well, uh, the uh, title of the message today is The Transforming Power of Gratitude. And, uh, you know, as we go into this time of year, it's, uh, it's good to slow down a little bit and really think about what we have to be grateful for. I know personally I feel very blessed uh, to, to do what I do uh, as an evangelist and as a Christian. I'm so grateful for the opportunities I've had, the lives I've had the opportunity to be involved with and touch uh, people that have converted to Christianity, uh, individuals whose marriages and families have been saved as they've embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, the ability to celebrate new, new births. Uh, it's so awesome seeing, especially in this congregation, the uh, plethora of babies that we have. Uh, I've also had the opportunity through the years to, I, I've performed over 30 marriages, uh, and one of, uh, one family in particular, I actually had the opportunity to perform three generations of marriages. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, got married to a gentleman by the name of Jan Dickens. His son, I had the opportunity to perform his wedding, and then Jan's grandson had the opportunity to perform that one as well. And you know, a thing that, uh, in a lot of situations can be very challenging, is being, when, obviously when someone passes, and it's been such an honor to preside over funerals where they're, we're able to really celebrate because the men and the women involved, again, were surrendered to Christ. Jesus was Lord of their lives, and it's a celebration knowing that they've gone ahead of us to heaven. Amen? And I'm also grateful for the opportunity to preach here today. Um, is this working for me, or? Guess not. Uh, next slide, if we could. Uh, what we're going to be talking about here to kind of kick things off this afternoon is the most interesting man in the world. And I was at the uh, leadership conference in Florida back earlier in the year, and uh, Joel Andy and I had kind of a chance meeting while we were in Florida, which was uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> there you go. You can probably tell it's just one of those flat cardboard things, but we couldn't resist the opportunity there. So before I go any further, I do have a video that I'd like to uh, kind of kick things off with, and uh, we'll discuss a little bit uh, about the most interesting man in the world. Well, one of my favorite ones with that is the whole thing that sharks actually have a week named after him. But I'm here to name the most interesting facts about the media's most interesting man in the world. And then obviously we're going to transition here. But they are as follows according to reputable researchers, top scholars, and his contemporaries. Number one, he lives vicariously through himself. He once taught a German shepherd to bark in Spanish. He never says something tastes like chicken, not even chicken. He once had an awkward moment just to see what it would feel like. His beard alone has experienced more than a lesser man's entire body. Even his enemies list him as their emergency contact number. He's a lover, not a fighter, 
but he's also a fighter, so don't get any ideas. His shirts never wrinkle. Would that be awesome or what? He's left-handed and right-handed. And if he were to mail a letter without postage, it would still get there. If a monument were built in his honor, Mount Rushmore would close due to poor attendance. His blood smells like cologne. <laughs> I don't really like this next one. This next one's kind of interesting. His organ donation card also lists his beard. He doesn't believe in using oven mitts nor potholders. His reputation is expanding faster than the universe. He once taught a horse how to read email for him. And again, he uh, once brought in $13 million at a charity bachelor auction, which then was a lot of money at the time. He is the most interesting man in the world. You know, uh, th this whole ad campaign absolutely boggles my mind. Jim Doney, who's the uh, president of the Chicago Beverage Systems, credits this marketing campaign with a 32% increase in the sales of Dos Equis this year. Now, the thing that blows me away is how do you take an imaginary person and how can they have that kind of an impact? I mean, a 32% increase in sales. What is it that we find so interesting about this guy? What is it that we find so intriguing? You know, he seemingly has accomplished a lot of things that, you know, as we look at, they're, they're kind of cool, they're kind of interesting. But again, he's not a real guy. And he seemingly has the answers for everything. Or does he? With that, a uh, little bit about me. I grew up in the uh, San Gabriel Valley. I uh, was married in 1984. November 17th of next week will represent my uh, 20th wedding anniversary. I remember the date. Come on. Excuse me. 27th, 26th year anniversary. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm done. Marco, you want to take over? Come on. <laughs> I, I'm confused with my baptism date or the number of years there. I've been a disciple 20 years. I've been married to that phenomenally awesome, beautiful wife and best friend of mine, Jacqueline Marici, for 26 years. Oh my gosh, man. You guys are a rough crowd. Jeez Louise. What was that? I got a peanut gallery over here? <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Uh, from a secular standpoint, was very successful in the world. Uh, the bulk of the jobs I had were, were all in the six-figure category plus. So on the outside, it looked, you know, really great. The reality, not so much. You know, uh, two years into the marriage, we were separated. I uh, committed adultery. There was a lot of abuse. Um, mentally, verbally, started even slipping into that a little bit from a physical standpoint, not to discount it, but physically abusive with my son. And I think even prior to being married, just a lot of rage as a young man. And I think looking back, a lot of that was rooted in hopelessness. So I think looking at my background, I didn't know how to undo certain things. I didn't know how to change certain things. Uh, I didn't have role models as parents that I could look to as to, okay, this, this is the kind of parent I want to be. This is the kind of marriage that I want to have. And 20 years ago, I was met by a gentleman by the name of Bruce Teague. And in our interaction, we built a relationship, and at one point he got comfortable enough to ask me a question, which was, what's your purpose? 
And uh, for those of you that know me, sometimes I'm be kind of a wordy guy. Um, I did not have a response to that question. And you know, when we, uh, when we kind of joke about the most interesting man in the world here, I wonder what his response would be if he were to be asked that same question. What is your purpose? I think we would probably find that uh, we would get a rather lengthy pause if you were to be hit with that. If you'll turn with me to John 4, verse 4, it's going to be our primary text for the evening. And this is on his way from Judea to Galilee. Pretty busy schedule. He just got through performing a number of miracles, clearing the temple. And then uh, we see him tired and thirsty, rolling in on a well. We're going to look at a woman who was grateful. This woman had the opportunity to meet initially what she thought was the most interesting man in the world. But after spending some time with him, she walked away realizing that she had just met the greatest man in the world. John 4, verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on his way. Eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than what he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? So we can kind of see here, at this point in time, in her opinion, Jacob was the uh, most interesting man, the greatest man in the world up to that point. But what she's about to see again here is that the most interesting man, not just the most interesting man in the world, but the greatest man in the world is Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. You know, I think in a lot of ways, that's why some of us are here today. We're thirsty. We're tired of continually to go back to the well over and over and over again. We realize that there's a lot more to life than what we're currently experiencing. You know, there's some of you that are visiting with us today who took time out of your day, uh, your Sunday. You know, you may be kind of counting down on the clock here. It's, uh, well, we've got about 25 minutes to kick off on the uh, Steelers game this evening. Some of you may have already experienced losses today. Some of you may have already experienced wins. But there is so much more to life. And, you know, you may be really wondering, okay, is this all there is? This is the routine that we can get caught up in a weekly basis. The bottom line is you know there's more to life than a 50, 60, 70-hour work week. The challenges that there are in school, the challenges you may have with your kids, challenges they may have, challenges within the marriage, chasing the brass ring, chasing something, but with absolutely no satisfaction. 
Still empty, no change, no purpose. You know, and for those of us that are Christians, it's amazing how we can lose sight of the gratitude that this woman is starting to establish in her interaction with Jesus Christ. We, we forget what Jesus has done for us personally. And it's amazing how as we lose sight of the cross, as we lose sight of what Jesus has done for us personally, and we lose that gratitude, we start slipping back into the old patterns that were so much a part of our lives before we became Christians. The thing that's awesome about this, Christian or not, this is exactly where Jesus wants to meet us. He's willing to meet us behind the facade and really help us with who we really are. Verse 16, let's continue. Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And you know, ultimately, this is what happens when we come face to face with Jesus Christ. We're confronted with the truth about who we are. You know, you think about this for a minute. The, the truth that this woman was forced to face here, this could not have been a very pleasant feeling for her. Imagine being called out on this. Yeah, you're right. I know you don't have a husband. You burnt through five. And now you're living in immorality with this guy. The truth this woman was forced to see, again, wasn't very pleasant. When Jesus offered her water from the well of living water, she didn't understand what he was saying. She misinterpreted what Jesus meant when he said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she kind of foolishly responds here, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the well for water. And, you know, I think ultimately because she realized that Jesus was a stranger and probably didn't know what was going on there in that local community. She could pretend to be someone that she wasn't. But Jesus cut to the chase by saying, go call your husband and come back. And you know, this is what happens when we're confronted with Christ. The mask is ripped off. It's removed. And the true self is exposed. Jesus knew the truth about her. Jesus knows the truth about each and every one of us. And he forced her to see and admit the truth about herself. You know, that's exactly the way it is when we come into contact with God. Suddenly His light shines on us and reveals the truth about us. And we understand that He sees us as we really are. And when the real us is exposed by God, we're faced with a a choice here. We're at a crossroads. This is a dilemma that we're faced with. And Jesus talks about this in John 3. We're all familiar with the passage where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus and he talks about the need for us to be born again of water and spirit. And the religious world loves that passage. John 3, 16. Everybody knows it. But the thing that's amazing is very few people finish the passage. And this is the dilemma this woman was faced with. Jesus talks about at the end of John 3, there's a reason men continue to walk in darkness. And that reason is they do not want their evil deeds exposed. That's why it's so easy for the religious uh, world to embrace John 3.16. There's no conditions. There's no implications. There's no challenge. There's no calling. But you finish the passage and it's clear. You're faced with one of two things. You walk in the light or you walk in the dark. 
There's blessings with one. There's repercussions with the other. You know, do we admit to ourselves our need for God? Do we acknowledge the truth about who we really are before God? Or do we deny it and try to slip back behind the facade? Do we try to put the mask back on? You know, I remember being confronted by the Scriptures. The truth about who I was. Who I really was. I didn't know the first thing about being a husband. I didn't know the first thing about being a dad. There were so many areas in my life that I was lacking in. There were lots of rage, lots of hopelessness. And I think our natural tendency is to cover up and conceal the truth. You know, we, this can happen even in the fellowship. You're asked how you do. I'm doing great, bro! And you know, underneath it all, you got the mask back on, you're standing behind the facade, and, and you've lost sight of the need to be real, that need for vulnerability, the need to have people in your life, but first and foremost, the need to be walking in the light with God. See, this woman, when she was confronted, Jesus saw through the facade, but the thing's so amazing here, with his knowledge of her sin, she was grateful for being exposed. She was grateful after she encountered Jesus, and she went to the others in the town and said, Come see the man who told me everything, everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know, back to um, the Samaritan woman here for a minute. Jesus revealed the complete truth about her. The thing that's so awesome about God is with everything he knew, all the knowledge he had, he completely accepted her at the same time. And don't, don't we need to be grateful for grace? Don't we need to be grateful for unconditional love? And this is exactly who God is. And the thing that's so awesome about this, she embraced this. And the saving factor in this woman's life was that she did not deny the truth. Verse 19, chapter 4. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. I think she's starting to plug in here. What do you think? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You know, you come face to face with Christ, we are confronted with who we really are. The second thing that we learn about Jesus when he encounters us is that when we are confronted with the truth, well, actually, in this situation, we're confronted with the truth about who he is as well. The only, they only had spoken a few words. He saw right through her. She assumed that he was a prophet or something along those lines. So she asked him a religious question. You know, here's the thing that's so interesting about this. When we're in the spotlight and things are getting uncomfortable, don't we try to find some way of doing that little crab shuffle to the left or the right so we can avoid the confrontation? And this is exactly what she does. This is such an incredible technique as far as getting the spotlight off of us. She tried to segue into something that something else that was maybe more comfortable, a little bit more controversial. But, you know, this is kind of like who I was when I was confronted by Bruce Teague. He could see right through me. I was incredibly arrogant. I didn't like authority. I didn't need people in my life. So I thought, you know, I... I it was amazing the denial that was going on in so many places in my life. But I think the thing that, with this pride that God used, is I tried to deflect off of me by looking at Him. And you know, and they, uh, they, again, that's so often what we can do, even in the fellowship. 
You know, you try to find somebody that's doing a little bit worse than you are to justify where you're at rather than looking to Christ and realizing how fall we, how short we fall for what Jesus represents for us. But with that, being grateful, knowing that we don't deserve salvation, we don't deserve grace, we don't deserve that unconditional love, yet that's the kind of God we're called to worship. You know, there's a running argument that we see in this passage between the Jews and the Samaritans about where the real place of worship should be, either on Mount Zion, the mountain in Jerusalem where the temple had been built, or Mount Gerizim, the sacred mount in Samaria. So this is the thing that she tried to make the focal point of the interaction that they were having. She was trying to turn the spotlight off of herself, but when she did, she encountered another truth that was just as difficult as the truth about herself. She came face to face with who Jesus Christ really is. She wanted to argue religion, but Jesus wanted her to get beyond religion and go deeper into the well of her own soul. She learned that the great question of faith is not about mountains, it's not about doctrines, it's the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ calls us to. Verse 22, chapter 4. Verse 22, chapter 4. It says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And imagine the response to this next verse. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You know, and this is so amazing because Jesus' method of reaching this woman would be so frowned upon today where in our PC world, no one's really right, no one's really wrong. You know, we say everyone has their own truth and we should respect that by not trying to change the way they think or the way they believe. Our culture in the new emerging church in America asserts that truth is whatever you sincerely believe in. Where's that going to get you? And it's amazing. That, that is the concept that is so embraced in society today. But you know, Jesus wasn't worried about being PC. He dove right in. He pointed her to the truth. He bluntly told her that the Samaritans were worshiping what they did not know. You know, all of us have different religious backgrounds. I was grateful for the people that came to me and showed me that I was worshiping what I did not know. They weren't worried about alienating me. They weren't worried about, ooh, I might not like them. But what they were concerned with was my soul. And I'm so incredibly grateful that there are men and women that are willing to take that kind of a stand and point us in the right direction. Amen? You know, he told her that everything she believed all of her life had been wrong. And why would Jesus do this? Was he kind of cranky? Was he mean? Trying to pick a fight? You know, maybe just didn't like women? I mean, what was going on here? Well, Jesus was concerned, as we need to be as disciples, amen? And he was alarmed with the false teachings, the false way this woman was leading, and the false things that she believed. He confronted her with the truth, and then he let her decide what to do with it. And when Jesus encounters us, we're confronted with the responsibility personally to act on that truth. I'm grateful for the truth. I mean, without truth, can you change? We need to be grateful for the truth. You know, even the situation with our neighbors. I mean, 
you know, there was a lot of backdoor policy going on there where they were trying to get us evicted out of the place. But the bottom line is when we finally got to have some interaction, the truth came out. You know, Bella's a little derelict, loudmouthed dog, all four pounds of her. And we were able to dial it in. Uh, we had a great event the other night. I'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But, uh, you know, without the truth, again, can you change? Now, the Samaritan woman, she responded to the truth that Jesus confronted her with. While many of the religious leaders rejected what Jesus stood for and what Jesus preached because it would call them to change their lifestyles, she had no education, she had no religious training, yet the religious leaders in Jerusalem, who were scholars in the Scriptures which spoke of Jesus, remained totally closed to Him. And so here we are. Here you are today. As I was 20 years ago, encountering Jesus the most interesting man in the world ever. You have a choice to make. What would it be? You know, we, mean, we can be great at deflecting, redirecting, and making excuses, but with Jesus, he sees right through that. He wants to engage us on a different level. He wants us to go deeper relationally with him. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Second Timothy 3, verse 1. Give me an amen when you get there. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. You know, let's pause here for a minute. Teens, where are you at? <laughs> you want to learn how to make some inroads with your parents? Parents, cover your ears for a minute here. I'm going to give you guys a secret. You want to make great inroads with your parents? Treat them with respect. Treat them with the honor that the Bible calls you to, and be grateful for the parents you've been blessed with. You know, here's the thing with that. When my kids are grateful, I want to do anything and everything I can for them. When my, parent, when my kids aren't grateful, I don't want to do a thing. You know, I'm not God. I don't have that unconditional love thing totally dialed in. <laughs> But this is a little bit of a truism. You know, you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. I mean, you want to try and facilitate something in that relationship? Honor your parents. Respect your parents. Be grateful. And guess what? You're going to go a long ways in really building an incredible relationship there with mom and dad. Uh, sorry about the commercial there. Let's go ahead and uh, continue. Um, see, just being with parents and grateful. Unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. As singles, you want to see continued victories in your lives? Get grateful for what you've already received in Christ. I mean, if we were given nothing more than salvation, shouldn't that be enough? Same thing applies to the marrieds. Are you grateful? Are you grateful for your spouse? Are you grateful for your kids? But first and foremost, are you grateful for what God has done for you personally by sending you a personal Savior and giving you the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven? You know, I, this, this, this gratitude thing has been a major deal for me lately. I figured out that's part of my crabbiness that uh, you know, I've been kind of talking about, trying to get that dialed in. I've been crabby. I did better this week, though, right, babe? Amen. And I think part of it was just even the, the preparation for this lesson, really taking a look at what I've been blessed with, how awesome God is. You know, I got together this morning with Chip for a prayer out on the pier at about 7 a.m. this morning, 
And it was just so amazing watching the sun come up, watching the, the surfers, the waves, the wind. I mean, all the things that were going on, knowing that God created this for me. That is so amazing. One of the things I, I did, is, you know, we saw the list of the uh, greatest man or most interesting man in the world. I put together a list. Started on it a couple of days ago. And I know I've got a ways to go with it. Initially, it was kind of challenging. You know, it's like, you know, you, you, any of you ever put together those lists? few of you you know a suggestion do that this year take the time to write down all the things that you're grateful for you know I started out you know God was number one then came my wife then was my son and my daughter and then I wrote down my wife again I was like oh man I wrote her down <laughs> but you know by the time I worked through it there were a list of 300 things that over 300 things that I'm grateful for you know and it really helped me get a new perspective Quit being so darn crabby. You know, I don't want to be labeled as a grumpy old man, you know? Or not so old man, whatever the case may be, depending on your perspective. I guess it's all relative. But, you know, with that, again, just a suggestion for each of you going into this time of year. Spend a little bit of time just meditating. Think it through. Grab a pad of paper and write down everything that you're grateful for. It'll change your perspective. Once you get going, man, you get on a roll. It's pretty amazing. But really understanding that today you're at a fork in the road. You can stay on the same road where nothing changes, just the degree of frustration, that form of godliness without power. Or you can get grateful when you're confronted with Jesus and make the decision to gratefully walk on the road He calls us to rock on. You know, it's interesting that the Bible says in John 4, 28 through 29, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know, she left her water jar. She left what she knew. She left her form of godliness. And now we got a woman on a mission. She's honest now about all the things that she'd ever done. And she tells people in the town that Jesus told her everything that she'd ever done. She wants to tell others about the great truth that she had discovered. She wants to tell them about Jesus. This is a response that's rooted in gratitude. You're not talking about Jesus. I'll tell you unequivocally, you're not grateful. You're not talking about how God's blessed you. You're not grateful. And that's why it's so important for us to dial that back in. Because you know what? If you're not grateful, guys, you don't understand what you've got through Christ. How easy is it to walk away from this and go right back into the muck and mire that we were part of before we came into the kingdom? You know, this is a response that's rooted in gratitude. The Bible says, Many of the Samaritans from town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior. As Christians, teens, singles, marrieds, this is the kind of impact that we can have if we're grateful for what Jesus Christ personally sacrificed for us. If we're grateful Christians, the truth will motivate us to have the same heart that this Samaritan woman did. Come see the man. Next slide here. Winston Churchill once said that men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. See, how we react and respond to the truth determines the direction of our life if we determine it'll determine the quality of our lives and the destiny 
ultimately, of our eternal soul. Unfortunately, as this quote says, we can sometimes stumble and hurry off. You know, one of, one of those points in my life about 10, 11 years ago was Orange County. You know, for me, there were a lot of distractions. I wasn't happy about the transition. Lots of emotional events. I found my biological family. Uh, my bio, bio mom found four half-sisters. That was, that was really encouraging. I also found out that my dad had been murdered, my biological dad. And I think during this period of time, I just got very distracted. I lost sight of God. I became very deceitful. I started ushering those things from the darkness back into my life. And it had a very negative impact on my family. And this is where we've got to be careful. You know, we've got, we're so blessed with discipleship. We're so blessed to have people in our lives that we can get real with and we can be vulnerable with and we won't be judged with, but we'll have that opportunity as iron sharpens iron. People, I can't tell you how many people through the years have opened their Bibles with me and pointed me back in the right direction, have gotten me back on the right path, have given me the ability to overcome things that I thought I'd never have to deal with again, but because of my distraction, my loss of focus, and my lack of gratitude started to embrace back in my life again. Jesus said in John 8, 31 through 32, if you hold my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, it's amazing. We forget this truth, and we get tangled back up in our deceit. You know, I, I personally am grateful for people like Peter Garcia, Bruce Williams, Dan Strobel, Joe Newfield, Bill Edwards, Kevin Herman, John Mantle, and a lot of the new relationships I'm building here in the group. You know, seeing faithful men take a faithful stand knowing that they've got ups and downs, but the bottom line is they love Christ, and they're grateful for what they have in the kingdom, and they take that kind of a stance accordingly. I'm grateful for Bruce and Nora Teague and Greg and Ruth Ann Thatcher that brought Jacqueline and me the truth, and were willing to get in there and fence with us, you know, when I wasn't exactly the easiest person in the world to deal with, but they continue to go after it. You know, we took a look at... That one list on the uh, most interesting man in the world, I've got another list for us that I'd like us to take a look at. Some truths on the really, the most interesting man in the world. If we can go to the next slide. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus, he lived selflessly for others. He helped decide what was created. He turned ordinary water to wine. At the age of 12, he was smarter than the average rabbi. He invented many things, most notably the sun. He healed those who were sick. He outfished the local pro anglers. He beat LASIK surgery by over 2,000 years and restored the sight of the blind. When he told them, 1,000 pigs drowned themselves. He raised a good friend from the dead. He got tired of bad weather, so he changed it. He missed a boat, so he walked across the lake. His stories have impacted more people than Star Wars. He fed thousands with a few fish and loaves, and then he himself rose from the dead. You take a look at that list, you know it goes on and on and on and on and on. Wouldn't you agree with me that we've got a lot to be grateful for? I want you to take a minute right now, think about your life today. Who really knows you, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Jesus does. He's at a well. He's sitting at that well waiting for you, waiting for you to get real, to put down the jar, 
and drink what Jesus has to offer. Next slide, John 7, verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. See, the thing that's so incredibly awesome about this passage is the Samaritan woman figured it out. She had to keep coming back, same story every day, thirsty, going back to the well. But once she was confronted with the truth and she realized who Jesus Christ really was and that Jesus offered something that was so much better, so much more lasting, she demonstrated her gratefulness with her actions. We're going to be this evening, it's really kind of cool, we're going to be able to see that demonstrated a little bit later this evening with Josue and uh, Angela, who are getting baptized. They're going to become your brother and sister in Christ here a little bit later this evening. Amen. You know, individually, sometimes we can get caught up in the same thing each and every day with little to no change. We have our own plan, our own self-help, our own religious tradition, again, with little to no results, yet we continue. We don't have the answers. Our jar is empty, but we go back. But Jesus, not just the most interesting man in the world, but the greatest man in the world, he offers a chance. He offers something different. You know, isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? You know, if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, if you're not moving forward, if you're studying the Bible and it's been going on for years, just to throw it out there, the reason that you haven't decided to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life is you are afraid to step into the light. And what sort of fear? Jesus loves unconditionally. Jesus wants us to have salvation. He wants a relationship with you. And there may be those of you in the congregation that you're kind of floundering. You don't know how to get back on track. The issue is gratitude. Get grateful. Remember where you were at prior to coming into the kingdom. Remember those best days in the kingdom. You can get back on track. You can reclaim those for your own. Jesus' question to you is the same as the question he asked the invalid, 2,000 years ago, do you want to get well? Why stay thirsty, my friend? Jesus has the ability to quench that thirst now and for eternity. There is an incredible alternative. It's called the incredible transforming power of gratitude. Stay grateful, my friends.